0: Calvary, dealt with our sin, but His resurrection, He dealt with the greatest fear that man has, and that's the fear of death, and rightly so. He showed us in His resurrection that because He lives, we can live also. Amen. And hence, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, a remedy for our fears, a remedy for our fallen life our chaos, our difficulties, and he can bring us order and joy and peace. We find that when he came out of that grave at first it caused shock and disbelief even among his disciples and apostles and yet when it finally sank in, joy filled their hearts. And I pray to God that we'd have that revelation that the apostles did and the early disciples of what that resurrection means, because all of a sudden they realized that death is not final. Death is not, you know, make your life over. Hallelujah. It's over the way that you know it to be, but it changes, it transforms into something better, something glorious. And His body shining forth it totally displayed that and gave them hope and faith and it lost their fear of death. Hallelujah. That's why they were able to go out and turn the world upside down. God bless you. You may be seated for a moment. Again, I want to thank everyone uh, who had a part in coming this far in this service today. We prayed and we fasted about this service today. Uh, Easter is, uh, is really probably the greatest celebration in Christendom. Christmas is great, uh, but uh, the Bible nowhere tells us to even celebrate his birth. But the death, burial, and resurrection that's the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15. That's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus instituted a communion to have us remember his death and his sacrifice and the shedding of his blood. But nowhere is there any ceremony, institute, or New Testament that would remember his birth. It's his resurrection. That's the exclamation mark. That's God's emphasis. Amen. That's what he did to show us that with his power, his resurrection power, he can change us. He can change our trajectory. He can change our destiny if we would let him. Praise God. You see, God does everything based upon his holy nature. He doesn't make demands on us according to our fancy or our own whims, our desires, our wishes, our likes and our dislikes. God is God. He's a spirit. He has certain attributes and certain characteristics that he simply cannot change. The only thing he can do is to accommodate his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, in the way that he designed so that you and I can come into his presence and suffer no harm. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important. This is why in many ways people just don't understand God, just don't understand why the gospel is so important and why it's important to yield our lives to it because it's the only remedy that God provided for mankind for change, not just any change, change for the better. And change that will result in eternal fellowship with him. And this is what we're celebrating today. The resurrection made this gospel possible. It's been preached for about 2,000 years. But we don't have another 2,000 years to preach it. God's almost done. He's done waiting. How long would you want to wait? How long would your patience last? We'll deal with that in a little bit. I don't know about you, but I love Easter time. I really do. This is a great celebration. The Easter eggs, uh, the songs, uh, the dressing up, and church services, uh, and all of that. And uh, it brings back great memories, for me at least, when I was a child, uh, growing up in Eastern Europe, and then coming here, our family lived together, my mom, and, and my brother and I, and my aunt and uncle, my grandparents. And uh, Easter was one of those special times, the special holidays. Uh, A week or two before, my grandmother, the matriarch of the family, would be baking. She'd be baking things left and right, and the whole house was filled with the aroma of the baked goods. And then she'd be making Easter eggs, handmade, and she'd decorate some of them and paint them as an ornate thing. And uh, then, of course, we'd... uh, We'd have special, special uh, Easter uh, luncheon and dinner—ham, mashed potatoes, all the trimmings—and it was a wonderful time. I know that uh, besides the special pastries, I know the Easter eggs and the red eggs had special meaning. The old story goes—the folklore was that that there were chickens running around in the garden around Calvary and. They laid some eggs and the blood ran down and colored the eggs. Hallelujah! And so Easter eggs we always colored and then we'd take those eggs and everyone in the family had to choose. the hard-boiled eggs now, and uh, and of course they're colored hard-boiled eggs. And you'd have to pass it, the basket around. Everybody took an egg. You selected an egg, and then you took that egg and you took the sharp point, and the sharp point. And on, the, on on the person on your right would knock that egg to the top and and whichever one whichever egg won you know would be the winner. And then you turn it over to the flatter side or the bigger side uh, and and you'd hit that too and then you see which egg would also uh, crack another one wouldn't. see some of them would be harder in the shell and others wouldn't be. Well you kept going around you know and, and then the egg that survived without any cracks is set aside for a special time for two weeks. Amen. And that is consumed later. It's the winter. You know what? You'd be surprised. Those, those hard boiled eggs last a long time. After we had the Easter dinner, we'd be having eggs, hard boiled eggs, and ham every day for breakfast. <laughs> but I'm salivating even right now as I'm thinking about it because I had no breakfast today I just had a cup of coffee and some tea I, I loved that flavor with ham and hard boiled eggs and salt and pepper and that ham together with the eggs oh my goodness and a hot cup of tea now you thought died and gone to heaven well that was my childhood memories of course uh, we Cracked eggs, you always remind each other. Vas, Christos Voskres. my grandmother was Yugoslavian. And uh, she spoke many languages. and uh, not Hungarian, but you know, from Yugoslavia. You know, Serbian extraction. And we'd always say, Christos Voskres. Christ is risen. He cracked the eggs, Christ is risen. These traditions are important. Uh, especially when they're biblical. Uh, there's nothing biblical about Easter eggs, However, we uh, we, we use it to celebrate just like with anything else. There's nothing biblical about having a ham dinner either. <laughs> but we do it. Praise God. And um, I enjoy Easter. And I'm thankful that you came to church today to celebrate the special holiday. Uh, it's a pivotal moment uh, for Christianity. It was in the beginning and it still is. And we're in the end times. And... Uh, we, uh, we have to take advantage of the power of the resurrection to change us. Amen. Because there's no other remedy. There is no other way out. There's no other way to change for the better. God made it possible for us that we would be infused by that resurrection power through the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that power is what God provided for you and I to be able to change. Not only our circumstances, basically, I mean ourselves, our lives, and our character. But it's what makes that final change when we're in a split second, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible calls it, we're translated, we're transformed into his image. Wham! At the rapture, as we call it, the catching away of the bride. And it's that spirit, this resurrection power that's doing that. I'll mention it a little bit later on, but it's a great hope that we have. Jesus is coming back for us. He's, he's not on the cross. The cross is empty. The grave is empty. He's not there, but he's with us. He came back in spirit form. He said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit. It's gonna be, and the Holy Ghost is, is Christ's spirit. And we don't have to be alone. We don't have to face the trials and troubles and challenges alone, let alone the future, because he gave us himself, his spirit, energize us and powers us and give us strength that we need amen hallelujah so that's what church is all about is to receive that resurrection power and to uh, have him change us into his image to be more like him from glorious experience to glorious experience until we hear that trumpet sound and we are changed permanently and we become like him his body amen all right if you'd be kind enough to stand one more time i want to read three verses of scripture And I'll have you be seated again. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. My scripture comes to you today from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. And Peter the apostle uh, says this to Christians who are already born again. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. the last age, the last days of the last time. Hallelujah. Notice He has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection, meaning a living hope, because our hope is in Christ Jesus who rose from the dead, and He's not dead, He's alive. We have a living hope, and that's the title of my message this morning, Our Living Hope of the Resurrection. Let's pray before we see the Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord God, this time of celebration where we gather together and reflect on what you have done for us on that third day after you have suffered according to your passion. Lord, you have laid, laid down your life. You have shed every drop of your blood for our cleansing, for our covering for sin. And you have, Lord God, entered that grave that every man enters and gone through the burial process where you're covered and you're closed up and then three days later you came out contrary to natural law, contrary to the wisdom and the intellect of man Lord, contrary to the forces of nature, you came forth victorious over so death, hell, and the grave. You have risen, oh Lord, and have shown yourself time and again alive to many witnesses eyewitnesses that have propagated this truth and have claimed it for 2,000 years and this day, Lord, we still proclaim it And we rejoice in it, and we're thankful that we got this liberty, this deliverance from such utter fear. And we praise you for it, Lord. And I pray that you'd bless this congregation and bless this word and bless this preacher. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for being so patient and kind. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Like Christmas is not about Santa Claus, Easter is not about the Easter bunny. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, him coming back from the dead. And uh, after three days, what a glorious ending that was. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel. Everything about Jesus his miraculous, His beginning, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, all miraculous. All accompanied by angelic manifestations. God intervening in the history of mankind and affairs of man time and time again. This was really the greatest in Him coming in flesh. To wit, as the Bible says, God was in Christ, hallelujah, reconciling the world unto Himself. That's what God came to do to reconcile us to him. From the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell into sin and sin has come to rule over mankind and still rules us. He designed a plan to redeem, to reconcile and bring us back into good graces and into a relationship. And then create a new heaven and a new earth. He will deal with this derelict, unbelieving, God-rejecting world in due time. Hallelujah, it's coming, and it's coming very soon. Hallelujah. But his death, burial, and resurrection was glorious. And it's something that was foretold by prophets, of course, not only his coming, but also his death and his burial and his resurrection. Now I know when we're talking about his coming uh, in Genesis 3.15, we're told that, uh, that he will be the Messiah, the redeemed mankind, will be the seed of a woman, that he would be the descendant of Abraham. When God formed Israel to be the nation, to be safe, the depository box of his truths, to whom God would preach his gospel, through whom God would reveal himself and his truths to mankind. And then later on, it was revealed that the descendants of King David would be uh, Jesus, one of the descendants would be the Messiah himself, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. Then it was prophesied and foretold that he would be born of a virgin and he would be born in Bethlehem and that his name shall be called Yeshua, Jesus, and that is Emmanuel, God with us. And we can go on and on about the many prophecies about his coming being foretold. But the crucifixion is foretold. Isaiah 53 is, is the detailed crucifixion story, 700 years before it ever occurred. In Genesis three fifteen, God also already alludes not just to the coming of Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ, but also how that Satan would temporarily stop him or bruise his heel. But with the resurrection, Christ would destroy Satan, that is, bruise his head, and deal a final blow to death, hell, and the grave and the evil that came to be from the time that Lucifer rebelled against God. Amen. And hell was created for the fallen angels, and it was never intended for man to go there, but God gave a choice to man, and that was the supreme, hallelujah, uh, means by which you and I can have a meaningful relationship with God. He had to give us that freedom of choice, that free will to choose him or choose something else. That's why he put that tree into the garden. It's the only way that God could see whether or not you would love him. It was the only way that Adam and Eve could prove that they loved him by obeying his command. God said, don't eat of that that tree. The day that you do eat of it, you will die. And so what did they do? Well, Lucifer comes along, the fallen Lucifer, Satan now, and he tempts them and and they chose to eat of that tree which God forbid them to. Uh, Amen. And so why didn't God intervene? He couldn't because if he would destroy their free will, he would destroy the opportunity to have a meaningful relationship with them and for their descendants as well. He doesn't take away your free choice. He doesn't take away your free will. He gives you that because it's the only way that you can have a meaningful, loving relationship with the only God of the universe. The only way you can have a meaningful relationship with your husband or with your wife, the one that you love, is simply because they choose to. And if you did not have that power to choose, you could not have a meaningful, loving relationship. And God is no different. He's the one that created all meaningful relationships in the context of a husband and a wife, in the marriage relationship itself. Hallelujah. The power of choice is important, and it's what God gave you and I. And this is how we ended up in the predicament we are now. Thousands of years later, we're still here. See, God's not in a hurry. God's eternal. He's always been, always will be. Time is only for us. We're in, the ti- in a dimension of time, but time will be no longer at one point. The book of Revelation tells us time is coming to an end. Everything will be dissolved. Everything will be changed. Amen. When his plan is fulfilled. And we're now in the sixth time period, the sixth dispensation that God ordained to fulfill his will. We have one more dispensation after this. But we're coming to the close of this one. But it's not without calamity. It's not without tragedy. It's not without choices that we have to make. And the choices we make bear strong consequences. But the point is, looking back at the resurrection that uh, Jesus it's his coming and his resurrection was prophesied. Jesus himself said in John two nineteen, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." He spoke of his own resurrection. Romans one four tells us that the resurrection is what proved Jesus to be the Son of God with power, having the power over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. In Acts 2, 39 through, excuse me, 29 through 39, we have a message that the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Um, and there's a segment there I want to relate to. I want to have Brother, uh, Brother uh, Heil read, me, read for me these scriptures and follow along with me, if you will. And Sister Ruth, if you can follow along on the screen, too, that'd be great. Amen. But it is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and then Peter... After recounting some of the history of Israel and the prophetic utterances from Joel. That what they were hearing and experiencing was a promise by God in Joel. That the days will come in the last days. uh, That he will pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. And the last days began on the day of Pentecost. And now we're in the latter days. The latter days of the last days. uh, Amen. Before Jesus returns. And notice. What he preaches, and then notice the response of the congregation of of these Jewish people in Jerusalem. He gathered together for this great holiday, and uh, they heard the preaching of this message on the resurrection. Go ahead, brother. Verse, Verse 29.
1: Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Mm-hmm. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, Being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear.
0: Now, in verse 33, it says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted. It does not mean a geographic, spatial position. Mm. Because God is a spirit, and he's everywhere. He doesn't have a left or a right or up or a down, front or a back. He's God everywhere. This is a Jewish metaphor for a place of highest honor and authority. Because God was in flesh in Christ. He revealed himself in humanity, visible form. And he's saying this human being that God revealed himself in, amen, was none other than God. And he came in that flesh to perform that which he couldn't do in the spirit. And that's to shed blood. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. A spirit doesn't have blood. Right. But that's what God ordained to cover the sins of mankind. And therefore, he came in human flesh, sinless, mind you. That's why he came from a virgin, sinless. Therefore, his blood was not just blood, but precious blood, priceless blood. Valuable enough to pay for the debt of the sins of all humanity that has ever lived. It was precious blood. And because of his sacrifice on Calvary, he was highly exalted and put on the right hand, meaning in a position of highest honor and authority in heaven. And God is meditating all his power, all his love, and all his authority through this vessel, this glorified body, which we know as Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. Go ahead, brother. Verse 34.
1: For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Amen. Now, this is that critical
0: role displayed here in this verse of the humanity of Jesus. As a man, he is exalted above all others to the position of ruler of all heaven and earth. And through him, the power and authority of God, amen, is mediated to the earth. All mediation of all God's power is channeled through him. Right. All right, go ahead, verse 35.
1: Until I make thy fool, thy foes, thy footstool. It's a
0: Jewish idiom saying, until he conquers and overcomes all opposition. It's coming. Amen. It's coming. The resurrection was just the beginning. It's to authenticate his power and his authority. But it's coming in the meantime. It's a gospel of peace, a gospel of salvation. But the time will come when he will put down all unbelievers and all authority that stands contrary to his. All right, continue.
1: Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Yes. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Hallelujah.
0: That's in response to the resurrection yes. and the coming Hallelujah. of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is God calling you? He said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you saved or are you lost? Right. Many people are lost and they don't even know that they're lost. I pray to God that our eyes will be opened and we would know from the Lord where we stand. Because this is a very important statement. God is calling us, and if he's calling us, he's calling us to repent and be baptized in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of sin, and then to be filled with the resurrection power, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't die on Calvary and rise again from the dead the third day just to give us a good holiday and give us a good feast and have a lot of good joy. He came to come on the inside of us and infuse us with that resurrection power with which his own body was resurrected. Hallelujah. The Lord is still calling people. See, the resurrection is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said this as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. Mother, go ahead and read this one more time. one more time, i we'll read this one. Go ahead, read again one
1: more time. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, all foretold time and again, hundreds of years before. And that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that, he was also seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep.
0: About five hundred eyewitnesses at one time, and most of them were still alive when Paul the apostle was writing this letter. Mm, right. The eyewitness account of a witness is legal tender. That's right. It'll hold up in a court of law. How many witnesses do you need to believe in the resurrection? How many witnesses do you need to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings? How many miracles do you need to see before you can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord? Hallelujah. it didn't stop with the 500. The Bible says in verse 7, that he was seen by James the apostle, that of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by Paul also as one born out of new time. Witness after witness after witness that he rose again from the grave. He was not dead forever. He's not buried forever. Hallelujah. There is no grave for him because he is risen. As the angel said, he is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. Oh, the love of God. oh, when he came out of that grave, he proved that he had power and authority over death, hell, and the grave. And he just didn't go to heaven and disappear, but he's ever present with you and I by that spirit that dwells on the inside It was by that spirit that moves around us. Hallelujah. See, it's that sacrifice on Calvary that freed him up to go wherever he wants to go in this world. Amen. To work in the hearts of man. That's why prayers are important. The prayers of the church is what invites God into this area. Hallelujah. And he begins to work in the lives of people. I liken this sometimes uh, to the story of A a landlord of a house, Uh, hallelujah. When you have a house uh, and you lease that out to somebody as a landlord, you just cannot go into that house anytime you want to. You've got to have the permission of that person uh, to come inside there, even though he owns that place. Uh, can I tell you, uh, God owns the earth and everything in it. The Bible says all the gold and silver is mine, the cattle of a thousand hills are mine, all the earth are mine. In fact, all souls are mine, saith the Lord. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin... The Bible tells in Romans 6 that we become servants to whom we yield ourselves, who we surrender ourselves to. Adam and Eve yielded and surrendered themselves to Satan. They yielded themselves to sin, and all of their descendants after them fell into sin. The Bible says, hallelujah. And As a result of that, amen, this world became under Lucifer's dominion. God made Adam and Eve to have dominion over the work, but they sold out. They sold the dominion. They sold out the authority to Lucifer. And now he became the God of this world. The Bible calls him small g. He's no God at all. He's not the opposite of God. He's no equal with God. He's just an angel. And God can eliminate him at any time, but not before his plan is filled and drew. Hallelujah. And so uh, the power of, 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 of death. The greatest fear had to be dealt with. And so when we talk about dominion and losing dominion, God just could not come in here anytime He wanted to. This is why He depended, he depended about, on His people. Well, Seth, for example, who cried out to God. And we see the lineage right on down the line through the ages of people who sought after God people who prayed and it's the prayers that invite god into this earth to come in here it's like asking the landlord to come and take authority it's asking the landlord to come and do something hallelujah that's why intercessory prayer in a part of the church is so important that's why we have prayer meetings too many reasons but this is one of them it's inviting god to do something in uh, among the people hallelujah thank you jesus Romans 8:11 tells us, but if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, when you receive the gift of the resurrection power, the Bible says uh, that that same spirit that dwelled in Christ is dwelling in you, you're going to have the same kind of resurrection. If you go by the way of the grave... uh, before he comes back and the trumpet sounds, uh, your body will be resurrected. Uh, but if you're alive, uh, when he comes, First uh, Thessalonians 1, to 13-18 tells us, uh, amen, that when you're alive, if that spirit's in you, it's that body that quickens uh, or changes. Uh, it's what transforms you uh, from your human body at level where you're right now, and you receive your glorified body uh, at that point in time. Hallelujah. But nevertheless, it's still The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what the gift of the Holy Ghost is. It is Christ himself. Amen. And when you receive that spirit, can I tell you, you never have to be afraid of death again. Death is something that you and I face. Come on now. Hallelujah. Every one of us will go by way of the grave if Jesus tarries. Some of us sooner, others later. Amen. Amen. I learned one thing in my 68 years of short life on this earth. Life is short, period. It's short. I don't know how much time I have. If Jesus doesn't come soon, I'm going to go by way of the grave. But I'm not staying there. I'm coming out of the grave when the trumpet sounds. Sister Switzer, Hallelujah. I'm not destined for there. That is not my final resting place. When the trumpet sounds, I'm coming out. Hallelujah. So are you. That's the promise of the hope of our resurrection. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In John 14, 19, Jesus said, Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. That's why the apostle Peter calls us a living hope. Jesus is alive, therefore he's our living hope. Hallelujah. Not when it says hope. You know, people, when you think hope, it's, it's not a funny feeling like we use it so loosely. Oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, you know? That's not the hope. The, the word literally in Hebrew for this word hope is trust. It's trust, it's complete trust. It's not just a feeling of just having an expectation, but it is a firm belief in the reliability and ability of something or someone to do that. Which you, which you know to be true. And that's what, what our hope is in Christ. We have firm reliability and, 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 and trust that he is able to do that which he said that he would. He said, I'll resurrect you. You accept my spirit inside of you, I will raise your body. And you will live me forever in eternity. Hallelujah. It's a trust. That's what Peter says. It's a hope. That we have in Him. A living hope of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And in fact, He goes on to say, We also have a great inheritance reserved for us in heaven. And verse 5, it says, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed than the last time. He says, We're kept, kept by the power of God. That's the Holy Ghost. Through faith unto salvation. <clears throat> See, we began our, our salvation process. Uh, those of you who, who attended here for a while, salvation is a process. It's not a, a one-momentary thing. But I, I talked uh, two weeks, two Wednesdays ago, uh, this, this past two weeks, yeah, two Wednesdays ago, on the subject of salvation. Uh, I talked about the three aspects, the past, present, and future. There's a past aspect. Uh, August 24th, 1975, I was baptized in Jesus' name. I born of, of the water. Two weeks later, I got the Holy Ghost. I fulfilled the, the plan of salvation in, uh, in John 3 5, except a man be born of water and a spirit. Hallelujah. And I began my, my walk with God about uh, 47 years ago. I was saved 47 years ago, but there's a present aspect. I'm saved today as well. I've been saved because I've been walking, it's progressive. Amen. I didn't get to where I am today in one day. It was a process that I had to go through. Salvation is a process. You're changing into his image is a transformative process. It's not a one day deal. Right. It's a lifetime process until the Lord comes, until the trumpet sounds and then it's quit, then you step into glorification. Amen. But it's a process. So it, so the power that saved us 47 years ago or yesterday or whenever you had salvation, amen, or whenever you will have salvation, you don't have it right now, it'll be your beginning, hallelujah, but it can be in the past and and tomorrow, hallelujah, amen, Is your future, and yet there's a salvation for us waiting uh, to a future event. What is it? It's when our salvation, we started many years ago, is going to be actually finalized, completed when our body is redeemed. That's what salvation is all about. I mentioned really the definition of salvation is to be to be delivered from the consequences and the effects of sin, the effects and consequences of sin, and from the power of sin. A lot of things that we do in our lives that are not good are a result of sin that is working in our lives, and God wants to deal with that. He wants to help us to be free from that. And with that sin comes. Uh, comes comes guilt there comes shame with that sin there comes there's come fear a lot of things associated with it but god wants to deliver us from that and give us that joy and peace that comes with his presence yes. that's why the holy spirit coming in our lives is so important that gift that he provided for us but also when we're saved we begin that that process and it says ready to, uh, and we're kept by faith unto salvation the future salvation waiting for us when the trumpet sounds when our salvation is complete, when our bodies are glorified and redeemed, ready to be revealed in the last time. That when this church is over, 2,000 years, it's the last days. And it's coming when the promise of God is going to be fulfilled. And folks, <clears throat> Jesus said he's coming back and he's given us signs to look for. So I'm going to just spend a couple of minutes on the last days I'll end up closing with this. Because though no Peter here, the Apostle said, "We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time." For the last 2,000 years, the church has preached the same message: Country to country, generation to generation. Acts 238, Calvary. Acts 2.30, how we assimilate, how we, 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 we implement the message of that, that work on Calvary, repentance, baptism, and receiving the Spirit of Almighty God. And now we're literally preaching the gospel on every nation through satellite TV and through the internet. And really it just dawned on me the other day that really, you know, when Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation and for witness unto them, then shall the end come. We're literally doing that. I was thinking, you know, we got to have missionaries in all those places. Well, right now, any person anywhere in the world can log on to a preacher. They can hear the message right now. The gospel is being preached as a witness to them. Amen. Jesus can come anytime. Our age, our end of the age. How Jesus said, and then shall the end come. And I can also see through how, how technological development a lot of the things come together in this particular generation that many things in the Bible that were, were given to us 2,000 years ago, and, and now we can see how, how they become actually fulfilled. For example, I'm talking about the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. The Bible said, uh, as John saw that vision, that the two witnesses that come through the time of, of, of tribulation, they will be sent by God that will have tremendous power and to work miracles and things, and, and he, they're preaching the gospel, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're preaching in the time of the Antichrist, but people get so fed up with them, so angry with them, and angry at God that they will eventually, after three and a half years, they will kill them. They will kill them. God didn't allow it, but by prophecy, he did he, serve only three and a half years. They would kill them. The Bible said that, <clears throat> that the whole world will see it. The whole world will see it. Years before, we thought, how do, how, how's that going to happen? And then CNN came along, and then all the satellite links years later, you know, and here we are today. We can watch any event in the world real time. We're gonna, the the world is going to be able to see these two witnesses during the tribulation. And the Bible says they're going to be so thrilled that these two troublemakers are finally killed that they're going to make it a holiday. They can start giving gifts to one another. But then it also says that three days later, as their, streets, as their bodies lied in the streets, they're going to come back to life again, and the world's going to see that too. And they say, oh, no. Another resurrection. Whoa. And the Bible says they would not repent, and God would have to intervene in other more extreme ways. But 2,000 years the church has been preaching this gospel. And again, I don't believe that we have another 2,000 years to preach it. Uh, I honestly don't know how many months or weeks or days we have. I honestly don't. Uh, and I, I, I died many times over concerning this message this morning because uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday, hallelujah. How many, how many Easter stories do we have to hear? before we respond to the gospel message? How many Christmas stories? How many special church services have to do before we pay attention and we we, we do something about our salvation? How many more miracles does God have to do? How many more resurrections does he have to show? I mean, listen, we're we're living in the last days and we're in a time of the great falling away. The great falling away, it's it's the Western world. is falling away from Judeo-Christian ethics and values. uh, And the world is going down. It's not going up. We're on a Titanic in this ball of mud, folks. But I'm asking, how far does the Titanic have to sink before we decide to get off the ship and get into the lifeboat? You're seeing what's going around you. I'm seeing the news just like you are. I mean, Jesus talked about it. Israel's going to come back together as a nation again. It is since 1948. Jerusalem will come back under, that, under Jewish control. They did, 1967. And then in that generation that will see his coming, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nation rising against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. The Bible says there'll be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Do You talk about fears. All you got to do is turn on your television set. All you got to do is listen to CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all the news stations. It's all the bad stuff you're hearing: yeah. right. climate change, fear, pandemic, fear, crime epidemic, fear, wokeism, fears, all shortage, fears, food shortage, border crisis, right on down the line, rampant immorality, suicides, drug overdoses, abortion. Societal upheavals over alternate lifestyles, gender identity uh, definitions, uh, same-sex marriage. uh, The list goes on. The world is changing like never before, rapidly. It's all coming together at this particular time in history. And we now have the technology available right now for the Antichrist to manifest himself and to... Set up a worldwide government, institute a cashless society, and yes, issue a mark. Come on. How many are? I just read in BBC a website just last week. Yeah, they're talking again about uh, issuing the, the chip in the, in the hand and how many people are using it. And 51% of the people in the world that was canvassed said they'll take it. They'll take that little chip in the hand to buy and to sell. They don't have to carry any IDs with them. That's where we are. Do you understand how late the hour is? The book of Revelation is coming to life right before our very eyes. The world is going the way exactly that God predicted, just like he predicted everything else. But we're waiting. We're holding back. We want to do our own thing. We think that things will get better. But Jesus said it's not getting any better. It's this is the time of the beginning of sorrows. Preacher, you're trying to scare me. No. I'm trying to prepare you. I say time and again, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm trying to motivate you. I'm trying to prepare you because there's only one remedy, only one. Only one person ever came back from the grave, only one. And his name is Jesus. And he's the only sinless one. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a preacher. He was God in flesh. And he proved himself so. What's it going to take it to prove it to you? Jesus said in Luke 21, 26, that fear is going to be a characteristic that will be uh, characteristic and prevalent in the world when he comes back. In Luke 21, 26, says, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. If you look ahead, it's hard not to be afraid and hard not to be filled with fear. Because of the, the life that we're seeing coming to pass is going to be totally different than what we have lived in the past. Who's coming? Well, Jesus is coming. And he's coming back to judge the earth. The Antichrist is coming too. The one world government, the mark of the beast, cashless the society, the one world economy, one world religion. And there will be no other. Just one. The wrath of God is coming too though. And Revelation chapter 15 and 16 gives us a brief insight. In fact, I've I chosen two chapters because uh, it, it, it encapsulates many of the things that, that, uh, that uh, several other chapters of the book of Revelation is talking about. <clears throat> when you look at the book of Revelation, one thing you have to understand, it's not in chronological order. Things don't take place, you know. Successively, from beginning to the end. It it is a repetition of some things that are repeated in prior chapters. It's a Jewish literary custom and practice like in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. You have a generalized uh, uh, summary, a narrative of creation. And in chapter 2, it goes into more detail of what happened in chapter 1. And same thing with the book of, of, of Revelation. There's some things that happen in one chapter. And then in the next chapter, it gives a more detailed account of what happened. And when we look at uh, Revelation chapter 15, uh, it it already uh, dealt with uh, the battle of Armageddon in chapter 14 and other things and the destruction of the Antichrist and the beast and so on. But then uh, he goes back into chapter 15 and 16 and and describes the detail of what else happened during that time. So in chapter 15, we read about the wrath of God. See, this is also, what's coming now? Whatever you look at the Revelation, this is future tense. Hallelujah! Everything after chapter three of the Book of Revelation is future tense, and I'm saying this because if, if we have an inkling of faith in the gospel and Jesus Christ and the words of the of, of the Bible that predicted His coming. His, his ministry, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and so many other things. It's the same word, the same spirit, the same book that is predicting this. And we're seeing so many things already transpire and fulfilled that was predicted what we would see in this generation, in this last day. And God's wrath is coming. He said, I saw, chapter 15, verse 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled the wrath of God, meaning fulfilled. That that is completing God's wrath being poured out, and it's the final uh, events. And He said, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. For them that had gotten a victory over the beast, and over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on a sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing a song of Moses. I don't want to get into the song. But notice that. Chapter 15. He saw seven angels coming out from the temple of God, and he says, uh, with with, with, uh, having these seven last plagues, and in them is the wrath of God filled up with the wrath. Now, this word wrath is interesting. There's two words for wrath in the Greek language that was utilized in the New Testament. One is a wrath that is just anger from a passive disposition. You're angry, but you're not doing anything about it. But then there's another word for wrath that is thymos, that is hot, uh, volatile, passionate anger. And it's only used 11 times in the New Testament, but 10 of it is used right here in the book of Revelation. It's where God is finally fed up. I mean, it's the last straw. It's the end time. It's time to deal with this unbelieving, ungodly, Christ-rejecting world. Now it's time. And so he sends out the last seven angels. Amen. In fact, uh, in verse 7, go down, and uh, one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. It's this very word, thymos. It is this passionate, hot, volatile anger of God. Verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke of the glory of God from his power that no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. You see, there's a heavenly temple too, an earthly temple that was built by Solomon is the, the temple. And before that, the tabernacle was just a shadow, an image of the heavenlies. And so now here come seven angels in white with a golden uh, 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 strap around the chest. I mean that they're just, they're pure. God's justice is pure. It's not biased or uh, intemperate or unbalanced. So we go to chapter 16 when these angels come. The Bible says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. All right, so verse two, the first went, poured out his vial upon the earth. There fell a a noisome, grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. Amen. Now, this word noisome means having an extremely offensive smell. And grievous, it means severe and serious, sore. It stunk, the people that had that that, that mark. And verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. Now earlier, uh, the the, 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 uh, seas and the waters were plagued, but only one-third of the fish and everything in it died. Now, it's the complete wrath of God. Now, it's everything in the waters of the seas died. Sorry, fishermen. Everything died. That's coming. It says it becomes like the blood of a dead man. It's much the appearance and the sickening character of blood of a dead person. And then the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. Now it's not just the oceans and seas, it's now the sources of water. Hallelujah. Rivers and fountains. And then the angels proclaimed, verse 5, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. They're worthy of that judgment, in other words. I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. One plague after another, one plague after another. Hallelujah. See, when we talked about these seven plagues, this comes out of the the Old Testament concept that God showed his people in Leviticus uh, 26, 21, which said to Israel, and if you walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. So when John sees these angels with the seven last plagues, it is totally in harmony with the Old Testament concept, what God already revealed about himself, about his nature, about a sense of justice and righteousness. And when he's coming to judge the world, listen, he's not holding back anything. He gave man every chance, every opportunity. He gave 2,000 years, a church to proclaim the truth. This world is going down. I'm coming back to judge the earth. Save yourself. All you got to do is believe on the cross of Calvary that I have foretold and I have planned and be filled with my spirit. You will be saved. But how am I to reject it? How many spit on it? How many scoff at it? How many are so skeptical? How long will it take? How much time do you need to be convinced?
1: Because
0: I don't want to be here. I don't want to see this myself. I don't want my kids to go through it. I don't want my grandkids to have to face it. If I disappear from this earth and go by the way of the grave, it motivates my prayer. It motivates my life. It motivates my walk with God. It's not out of fear. I love God. But I realize how serious the consequences are. And I'm realizing the lateness of the hour. I wish I wish, it could be better. But we're not living in better times. The hour is urgent. And I don't know how much time we have. I don't. Now, I've heard many messages, on sorry, that urge, urgent, but it's even more urgent now than ever before. I'm sorry. Verse 10, the fifth angel, darkness. Hallelujah, the Bible says, The fifth angel poured out his vow upon the seed of the beast, and the kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. It's similar to the, to the ninth plague in Egypt when God put three days of darkness upon a land, and the Bible said it was darkness that could be felt. But this is darkness because more than just felt, you can feel it with pain. It's really a preview of hell itself. It's standing on the edge of the outer darkness that Jesus was talking about. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. Jesus talked about being cast out of darkness and they were gnashing of teeth. From the pain. Verse 12, the sixth angel. The Bible said that the Euphrates River dried up or dries up to, for the gathering of the armies of the kings of the east to come. And that's before Armageddon. Remember Armageddon already happened and this is how, how they, they came. You know, at one time back in the old days, the, the Euphrates River. It's talking about the Euphrates here. By name. says, uh, verse 12, when the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river, Euphrates And the water there was dried up that the way of the kings of the east may be prepared. It was anywhere from 500 feet to over a 1,000 plus feet wide width of the river. It was deep. It was very strong as the water's coming down from Turkey to that area. And armies couldn't easily cross. But it says that during the end time that that river will dry up and it will allow the armies of the Gog and Magog, China, India, that area. Even Russia is coming in against Israel and really against God. This is gathering them together to the battle of Armageddon. In fact, as he says, uh, let's see, at uh, verse uh, uh, 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and, and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked. And they see his shame. Meaning, hey, you know, uh, church, you know what it takes to get the white robe. You know what it takes to be saved. And it says uh You know, watch and and prepare yourself uh, unless, you know, you lose out and you're going to be ashamed when you have to go through these things. Verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. That's a literal place, a valley of Megiddo, where he gathers the armies against himself and God will deal with them. And finally, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his vow into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven, the throne, and saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was great earthquake. Listen to this. Such was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. That's Babylon. Renewed in the last days. And the cities of the nations. this: the cities of the nations. I don't care which city it is. You talk about New York. You, th- you think that the Twin Towers was something? Think about every, every, every building in New York, every building in Chicago, every building in LA, in Houston, in DC, every city of the nations of the earth came down. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Verse 19, and the great city was divided into three parts. That's That's Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the vine of the fierceness of his wrath. And in addition to that, verse 20 every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Every island sunk in that earthquake, every mountain collapses, go flat. That's coming too. Think about how big that earthquake is. Have you been in an earthquake? I have it's only been like 4.2 magnitude. And that wasn't bad, but it was scary. But imagine this one. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Verse 21, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. That's 100 pounds. I heard on the news the other day they had some in this late, latest weather storm a softball-sized hail. It's huge. Imagine 100 pounds, and the Bible said, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. That word great is one of the key words in the <clears throat> entire chapter 16 of Revelation. Great, everything that's scary stuff. Stand with me, if you will. Scary, but the good news is. We have a lively hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you have it? Do you have that hope? Do you have that faith? That faith can keep you in the power of God unto salvation when the trumpet sounds. Are you ready? Will you go by the way of the masses? The masses who travel on the broad way? Or will you go on the straight and narrow? That's been the history of mankind, hasn't it? Two trees in the garden. One to life, one to death. Two paths to travel that Jesus gave. The broad way. Or the narrow way. And still the same today. It hasn't changed for centuries. It's still a choice between the two. Have you made your choice? Which one will you choose? Choose wisely choose well there is a way out but if you miss it there's no second chance there is no second chance there wasn't a second chance in Noah's day and Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man when God shut the door of Noah's ark that was it it didn't open for anybody else Noah, too late. Jesus said of the ten virgins, five foolish, five wise, but five foolish when they missed it In the midnight hour when they heard the cry, the Bible said the door was shut. Open to us, open. Open. Knowing that you've had every opportunity on Easter Sunday 2022 to make a life-changing decision that will change your destiny for the better and give you a guaranteed hope out of this world to the next because this world is ending soon. No second chance. Jesus said, and I close with this last verse, Watch ye therefore... And pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape. See, there is a way to escape all this, but there's only one. His way is not crafted according to your comfort. It's crafted to accommodate his nature. The question is will you swallow your?